beautiful person. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. <laughs> My name is Ashley Lobossingame, and I am your host. I am here with our amazing, magical producer, Christiana Kimmick. Oh, you got it right. And I'm magical. Yeah. I think you're magical, and you are also Karen Lobster Karen. Oh, my gosh. Someone commented on my Facebook calling <laughs> me that yesterday, and I was so happy. It's a great memory. <laughs> that is I can't. That name is just epic. It's great. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. I still need to make you a name tag. <laughs> God, I agree. KLK. KLK. Oh, hi. I'm Karen Lobster Karen. <laughs> Anyone that does not know where Karen Lobster Karen came from, you got to catch up on some episodes because this is hilarious. You want to tell them? Just in case. Oh, just in case. Uh, Karen Lobster Karen was the name that I gave myself, I think, when I was four. And I would not – first I was Karen. Then I was Karen Lobster. <laughs> then I was Karen Lobster Karen. And through all these iterations, I demanded to be called <laughs> these names and would not respond unless my parents called me by said Karen Lobster, Karen Lobster, Karen. I love it. And, and you got Karen from because that's your aunt's that's name. That's my aunt's name mm-hmm. and Lobster because I we lived in – Cambridge, probably. Labster. Labster. You heard it from someone. Oh, yeah. That was a bad accent. It was Labster. I can do that. <laughs> Labster. Yeah. So that's Karen Lobster, Karen. Well, we are back after a minute. We've had a little hiatus from our after the episodes because we've been doing some summer traveling. Yeah. And it's been good. It has been good. But we didn't want to stop your, your guests and your interviews every single week. So. Yep. So here we are, back in the booth, and uh, where'd you go this summer? Ooh, you know, I was doing, like, weekend trips. I went to Flagstaff to go visit my school. That's cool. That I'm going to online. That's cool. So I did that. That was beginning of summer. Where else did I go? Why can't I remember? Oh, I went to Montana yeah. to visit my nephew. Yeah. I know, he's so cute and so squishy. So he's five months old now. That's and awesome. Yeah, I got to go and spend some time with my little his name's Carlin or they call him CJ and this is my I'm the oldest of three and I also have an older stepsister she has three kids but of me and my biological sisters that grew up together this was the first baby so yay yeah he's so cute he looks like a Gerber baby he's actually perfect looking well that's cool because I think most babies are born looking really ugly but that's not a popular thing to say (laughs) uh my sister and brother-in-law were told that by the nurse that helped them in their delivery they they handed uh Chase my first niece on that side that's on my husband's side um and they handed Chase to them and she saw both of their faces like, okay. And the nurse goes, now remember, we don't think that newborn babies are very pretty. And they're like, oh, thank God. Oh, yeah. I thought oh, yeah. it was just me. Oh, yeah. And I was I was making cracking jokes about the twins when they were born and how they looked. One we called um, Benjamin. He looked like Benjamin Button. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the other looked like an old Mongolian man. <laughs> Okay, and you said this to me, and I'm sitting here like, no, there's no way. Oh, they, I'm sure they were so cute. You showed me the pictures. No, they, I'm serious. They look like that. Yeah, they looked like they Benjamin did. Button and an old Mongolian man. And 
It was so hysterical. <laughs> and my mom was like, you can't say that about your babies. I'm like, no, they're my babies. I can say that they look really strange. Um, I'm not saying I don't love them. And they turned out great. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's what they look that's like. That's what they look like. Yeah, newborns. And so you had a C-section too, right? Yeah. So my sister did too. And because people had said that like sometimes whenever you have a C-section, the head isn't, you know, going through the birth canal. So it's not yeah. the misshapen, you know, yeah, kind no, of their heads were cone normal. head that happens. But yeah. yeah, no, Carlin just came out like. Perfect. I mean, very perfect looking. I mean, just so like I'm, I'm biased, of course, because I'm his auntie and he's yeah. the cutest thing ever to me. But No, he is cute. But like. I'll, I'll second that. It's kind of crazy, like how yeah. cute he is. Like I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm like me and Roger. So I have a friend. I funny was not sto- cute when I, I was little. I have a funny baby story. I have a friend who, um, <laughs> I have a friend who basically, like, she, you know, in liar liar, mm-hmm. she is like incapable of not telling you the truth of what she thinks <laughs> on anything, and I give her a hard time about it because she and she'll the stuff that comes out of her mouth will like accidentally she's accidentally offensive, and um, we have another friend who's very sensitive, and they were talking about how their daughters looked when they were born, and um, the the one asked the the you know the one that can tell the truth in interesting ways um (laughs) if she thought her daughter was cute and I don't know why she would ask that but she did she was like oh did you think she was a cute baby and my friend goes no I thought she was an ugly baby looked kind of funny but um she grew up to look (laughs) really she grew up to be super (laughs) cute and I swear to god they didn't talk for like a year and a half whoa (laughs) they didn't yeah. And so I had this conversation. I sat my friend down and I was like, okay, look at me. Follow my lips. Your baby is adorable. Your baby is adorable. It's like, <laughs> under no circumstances shall you divert from this sentence when a baby is born. Do you understand? It's like, but she asked me what she I was like, I don't care. You don't say that. Oh my gosh! That's so hilarious. anyway, it was like training her to. You just say it. Yeah, it was yes. like uh, you don't get to say anybody else's baby looks funny. It's not adorable. It's that's their call. Oh gosh, that's actually <laughs> that's really true. So okay, so we're gonna talk about. Um, I found three th- topics out of um, Nicole and Leo's episode that I thought were really worth talking about. Um, there were so many, <laughs> but uh, the three that I pulled out, and let me know what we haven't even discussed this yet. So this is live action happening. Go with what you think. Um, codependency, um, food addiction, and recovery, and um, sexual assault. Those were the three things that stuck out to me as like broad topics Absolutely. What, what came up for you yeah I actually agree with you I think the only other thing was uh dealing with uh Nicole's daughter's death yeah losing a child losing a child yeah and yeah and an infant you know she didn't even get the opportunity to like bring her home yeah you know, from the hospital so yeah it was pretty devastating to hear about and and what was so visceral for me listening to that was her 
need to get the alcohol into her body despite you know the the understanding of the limited time she had with Addison and um who was Addison was the baby girl and uh so yeah I it just was a really great um depiction of alcoholism right like in the face of the thing that's most important to you in the whole world alcohol is still your master calling the shots it really helped put it into perspective for me you know because whenever you're in a situation that's that dire you would think that okay this is going to be the first thing overcome anything any addiction anything and it, it and this is this is the strength of it right this is the strength of the fight yeah, it was. I was just talking to somebody, a friend of mine, and I was explaining to him about how he was saying something like, "Oh, well, this addiction this person has is more important to them than than their baby." And I said, "Oh, absolutely not. Mm. It's just that it's more powerful. Mm. It's not that it's more important. It's just more powerful. Yeah. And it and that's how people lose their children or you know lose custody or all these things happen because it's just." You know, there's willpower only takes you so far when it comes to addiction. It's only going to hold out so far before you lose. There's mm-hmm. just not enough of it. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's where the treatment, you know, tr- going to treatment, getting treatment, getting help, um, at least for me and, and many people I know, was so vital because I could have willpower and conviction in every other area of my life, which is, of course, confusing to people watching the circumstance but when it came to substance it just wasn't there and so that was that kind of is a good segue into another piece of Nicole's story which I very much relate to and we've talked a lot about here on the podcast in different ways and that is codependency and her codependency in her relationship and what she had to do to get better going to codependence anonymous um, which is shorthand CODA, and um, working with a sponsor and, and having even the therapist say, like, if you go back to him, I can no longer work with you. Mm. Um, <laughs> just hearing that was crazy. Um, but, I, you know, the, I, I have seen situations like that, and it's just it feels so hopeless on the outside to help the person who is addicted to another human being. And that's what it is it's like they can have willpower to stay away for a certain period of time but it just doesn't last that that codependency is too powerful and that other person is their drug so can we talk a little bit more about codependency because i think that it's Mm -hmm. a huge can i say issue yeah i mean yeah because well it comes into play in the domestic violence relationships we've talked about it comes into play Sometimes in marriages uh, where one person is struggling with alcoholism and the other person is trying to fix them, it comes into play. You know, like it, it, there are so many different places where codependency is present and at different levels, right? So there's like, I mean, what Nicole was describing in her codependency and often in, in domestic violence relationships, that is very significant advanced codependency. Yeah. Whereas Many of us have relatively normal codependent traits or things that we do that are, you know, you can do, you can, you can 
make an action that is codependent. You can do something for someone that is codependent without you having codependency, Mm, right? So like that doesn't – just because you do something codependent doesn't mean, oh, my gosh, you need to go to CODA. You're a codependent. Right. Um, It just – it's, you know, it would be considered. Um, I want to read a definition of codependency because I think that it will be stated better than I can make up. Um, Codependency is a behavioral condition in a relationship where one person enables another person's addiction, poor mental health, immaturity, irresponsibility, or underachievement. Among the core characteristics of codependency is an excessive reliance on other people for approval and a sense of identity. Definitions of codependency vary, but it is generally defined as a subclinical, situational, and or episodic behavioral condition similar to that of dependent personality disorder. The term is less individually diagnostic and more descriptive of a relationship dynamic. Okay, so given this definition, right, like you, a lot of things come into play, right? So um, enabling another person's underachievement, enabling another person's irresponsibility. So there are situations like in a marriage where let's say a codependent action might be that you have someone in a marriage who constantly forgets to pay the water bill. So you have two options, right? And you've talked to them, blah, blah, blah. You have two options. One is that you can let the natural consequence happen of having the water turned off. But if you're like me, you also are like, I live in this house too, and I don't care enough to make that point. So I'm going to do what the codependent action is and pay it myself, right? So that's enabling someone else's irresponsibility of forgetting to pay the water bill. Can you tell Mm -hmm. this has happened? Uh, (laughs) I don't know Uh, what what? you're saying. Yeah. So, (laughs) so in, I mean, so you could like make the point Mm -hmm. and let them have the natural consequence or you can, you know, come in and swoop it up and take care of it and enable their irresponsibility or whatever you want to call it. So that's a codependent action that I think those are the types of things many of us do on a day-to-day basis in various relationships. And some of it's seen as picking up slack or, mm. you know, stepping in where need where you need to. And then there's the codependency that Nicole talked about and that I've experienced um, early on in, in my uh, teenage years which is where you feel like you cannot breathe if you are not in contact with that person. And I mean for real, like can't catch your breath. You're so uh, wrapped up in like compulsive thoughts about what they're doing mm-hmm. and what's going on and the situation that you, you – you, it's like brain fog with everything else. Mm-hmm. Like everything else is like the, you know, AM radio set on, you know, low tone. Like it's playing in the background the rest of your life. But this is the only thing that's up high, turned up loud. Mm. So like you're just going through the motions with life, but this person is turned up all the way. And that's what addiction is like. That's what addiction feels like, right? Mm -hmm. Is like the volume on whatever your addiction is, is turned up really loud. And the rest of life is kind of on low buzz and you're going through it and you can hear that it's there and sometimes you want to interact with it but the other stuff is so loud you and you can't you don't have control of these volumes 
They, mm-hmm. And they're in your head. So it's mm-hmm. just you just – at a certain point you give up and go into it. And so Nicole talks about that. And it was – I love that they talk about um, – identity and excessive reliance on other people for approval and a sense of identity and mm-hmm. I think that's huge 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 um I think that plays a big part into why so often we see teenage girls who are struggling with heavy addiction come in with some codependent relationship mm-hmm. because that they're looking for an identity and that older man is typically how what it looks like and that's what yeah. it looked like for me and that's what I got from that relationship, right? He was – he helped me form an identity, several identities, and that help, that gave me something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And Nicole what's, – what's really cool about Nicole's journey with that is that she went through and did – the treatment and the, the 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 recovery around it. She did a full social media detox where she can't, you know, which didn't allow her to engage in any sort of feedback loop around identity or uh, value or any of that. And so, and talks about how that felt like a physical detox doing that. That's so interesting. And, you know, it, it's I was actually talking with somebody a couple weeks ago about it, um, about codependency and how I think sometimes it's a little bit misunderstood because yeah. in especially in like movies and yeah. you know, romantic movies and things here. I'm here when I'm saying in regards to this, because I'm not saying that, like, finding somebody else who's a good fit for you is a bad thing or somebody that lifts you up out of a bad yeah. place. Yeah, like, yeah. That's all a good thing. Like been there, done that. But we were talking about how we feel like codependency has been romanticized big time where it's in movies it's oh gosh you know somebody's lost or trying to find their way and you know something is enabled along the way and oh my gosh like this person just came in and just completely saved me and now everything is better because you know and it's like I don't know if I'm explaining this well but, but we were specifically also talking about I hope I don't make people mad with this one, but The Giving Tree in that children's book that, like, I read when I was younger and everyone supposedly loves this book. But, you know, it's basically one person completely, like, chopping themselves up to pieces to enable somebody else's life without getting anything back. And I don't know if we should cut this out. Yeah, no, 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 no. (laughs) It's interesting because I think part of what you're talking about um, I would describe more as Mm people-pleasing. So – I feel like a lot – so there's – people-pleasing is where I'm trying to please everyone in my life. And I'm doing things to keep everyone happy um, without much regard to what it's taking from me. Got it. When I hear about codependency, like what Nicole talked about, that is the addiction – completely transformed into a person into one person okay so it's it's focused on one person typically and that person is the end all be all and that addiction runs just right around that one human and they are you could you could substitute you know in alcoholic text you know describing alcoholism you could substitute that person's name and it would easily fit. Mm. Okay, that makes so, more sense. There's a I agree I think there's a culture of people pleasing of 
you give as much as you can. You do as you're human doing, not a human being. And yeah. you, you give, you give, you That's give, good. you give, right? How much are you – there's not a fostering of this idea that we have to recharge, how do we recharge in order to give, right? And so that's kind of where the giving tree is, more an unhealthy relationship with giving mm. and an unhealthy relationship with, like, what your purpose is and how. I, I honestly don't remember the giving tree. I, I remember reading it, but I don't remember the story. Um, and I remember the book cover. So if anyone gets mad at yeah. <laughs> director email towards Yeah, yeah, me. direct it towards Christiana because I don't remember. <laughs> but I'm um, highly against this book now. But, the but yeah, it's – I mean, you know, it's so funny is that – um, I was talking to a friend of mine and I, you know, when I announced that I was doing my MBA at Johns Hopkins and traveling back and forth to, to Baltimore and all this, people were like, oh my God, you're superwoman, blah, 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 blah. And it's funny because when it, it doesn't matter how many things I take on, people always congratulate on, oh, you're superwoman, you're superwoman. Mm-hmm. What I see is someone you know and this is from the more like therapeutic standpoint is like wow does that what is that person hiding from what is that person running from that they can't have any downtime what is that like that they're so busy um that they take on so much like what is it that they're trying to prove like but in society we all we give credit to people for everything especially women like the more they take on the more impressive they are hmm without any thought of whether or not that's actually healthy for them. Like, that's no really one true. was like, hey, is, you know, like, other than my parents and people close to me, they're like, good job, but also you're insane. And how are you going to take care of yourself? You know, whatever. So right. th- not to say that everyone did that, but I thought that it was very interesting. And I suppose in the world of social media, what are people going to say? Like, comments like, hey, are you taking care of yourself? That would also be awkward. So I I suppose there's that. But for the most part, we as a culture, it doesn't matter how much you take on, we give you, you know, kudos for that. And that is a a, a learned feedback. The more I take on, the more people will think I'm great or Mm -hmm. the more the more super uh, the more superwoman I am, the more busy, the more, you know, the more as Mm -hmm. opposed to just being like being without those things is good too and I think that that is the feedback loop that we've created mm-hmm. which does not leave space for teaching people that it's important to take care of yourself to have downtime to prioritize yourself self-care all of that jazz um, so I think that is a lot of what I see in the realm of people pleasing in the realm of social media feedback loops um, or or just our culture in general is like there's not as much affirmation around taking care of yourself and recharging. Mm. It's all about the giving. It's all about how much you do. Um, but again, I think the codependency piece is a little bit different because the person becomes the substance and it's a compulsion and you cannot stop. And we as a society have sort of come to understand somewhat at least Heroin as an addiction, alcohol as an addiction, cocaine, but even cigarettes. Oh, definitely cigarettes. Um, but when it's a person, that's super confusing. Right. Super confusing. Like, because why? Because how can a person be an addiction? <laughs> right. That doesn't. And it I get feels it. Feels irrational a little bit. Yeah. 
But addiction is irrational. Hmm. Addiction is irrational. Point. Addiction is literally laughs in the face of ra- any rationality whatsoever hmm. uh, time and time again, which is why it makes people look insane because they're doing insane things when that's a person you know if it was a thing there's you know sometimes I think there's more judgment around that because people are like you should be able to walk away Hmm. you should stop this is hurting you what you know right you should just yeah insert here Yeah. yeah and and Codependency, you know, if there's domestic violence, if there's um, reliant, like financial reliance on the person, like there's so many circumstances where people are in really tough situations that are not as simple as like just leave or, you know, whatever it is. So I don't, it, it's, it's much more complex, but I think it's a really important thing to talk about that codependency is a real addiction. It is being addicted to a person Having that compulsion is a, is a not only incredibly destructive but uh, quite real, and there is treatment around that. Um, I love there's a treatment program for love addiction, which it falls into the codependency realm. Um, place called Five Sisters Ranch that I really love, and they do codependency specifically. Um, and then uh, you know I also like uh, Codependence Anonymous, CODA. Um, as like a dip your toe in and and relate to the insanity of the things that you do for this person because you feel insane. I feel like I I am making a connection back to something else that you had said in another after the episode, and it was whenever I asked you something around like what addiction feels like, like like what is it telling you, what does it feel like, and you described it as uh, I think you said it's like. The bottle of air? Yes, the air. Yeah, like being underwater. Yes. And, and being told that you, it's okay to take a breath and, and that you'll be fine. Everything but, within you is telling you not to. Yep. And the, and the person or the, or the substance or whatever is right there in a bottle. And it's, a, you know, in this metaphor is a bottle of air. And all you have to do is inhale it, drink it, however you want to picture that and but you're underwater so that's the only thing that you know is going to keep you alive literally alive that's literally the alive level. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and you feel like that with that person too I mean it, and which is frankly scarier in my experience than the drug because the drug does the same thing for the most part every time unless you're getting something you know not what you think it is right for the most part you get out you know you get wild turkey every time it's going to do what wild turkey does and uh, make you take your clothes off (laughs) just kidding well not kidding but but, you know you know what that's going to do to you every time well that person you have no idea how they're going to react they may run you know your your whiskey is not going to be at at least at this point in time not going to stop being sold at the store but that person may run away. Mm. That person may, you know, I mean, it's just, it's like a level of soul torture I can't even describe um, in, in the relationship that I had uh, with the guy who put a needle in my arm for the first time. That was the the relationship. And I just remember 
all the same feelings that I had with drugs and alcohol I had around him except I knew what drugs and alcohol were going to do and where they lived and how to get them and how to prepare them and how to do all that stuff. I did not know what he was going to do. And off and he was intoxicated most of the time. So that made it even trickier. Um, You know, if, if that person that you're addicted to is also addicted to drugs, it's that much more, you know, out of control. So, I mean, with drugs and alcohol, the whole point is to take your anxiety down and, <laughs> yeah. or, or to yeah. eliminate that or right. to, you know, have Change whatever your state of yeah. your, your state of being, whether you need, yeah. you know, yeah. a high, you need you need more right. energy or whatever right. your case is. It's 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 Great solving point. a problem for yeah. you. The person, what the you're person saying, is, is such a variable. <laughs> it's, it's making. Yeah. Is, you know, it for me, it fueled the addiction hmm. because um, and it actually fueled it from uppers to downers because wow. I was so and he you know he was a special form of sadistic um, so that was you know not everybody's experience right mm-hmm. um, but I was so rattled by all the things going on and that variable that I needed something that took me out that put Mm. me out that sedated me because it was like could not deal and it added that insane variable to my life but a variable that I felt that I could not live without you couldn't deal but you couldn't break away yeah and I also you know it's interesting I mean granted I was 15 but I also thought it was the best I could ever do so I better make it work so there was like that component of low self-esteem and I think that comes in a lot of like this is going to be the best I can ever do if I leave this relationship. Like, this is it. Mm. Who else was going to love me? Mm-hmm. And then that's the that's a, a big component of the self-esteem. Because you're like, this is the last person on the planet Earth that's going to <laughs> want to be with me. And yeah. that, you know, that's the the insanity of the dialogue going on. I remember feeling that way about somebody. Yeah. Where and I actually, yeah. as you're saying it, it's kind of bringing that. I'm like, that was a really codependent relationship. It was in college, and it was somebody that I I – Gosh, I thought I had won the jackpot. <laughs> Woo, definitely did not win the jackpot. This person was not very kind, but um, that's putting it mildly. But I remember feeling that. I remember yeah, feeling like, this like, is the best I'm going to do. I better make this work. Oh, yeah. And, and like, gosh, like where that came from, I couldn't even tell right, you. Right. I couldn't even tell you. Right. But I do but remember. you find yourself thinking that. And I do remember feeling like I better not ever lose him. Right. Because. Exactly. I f- like, I feel like I would die. If I lost him, right, I didn't have thoughts around wanting to die, but right. it was. I remember but being it's that so irrational feeling. Oh, it was so irrational. Yeah. And I remember just being so. It must have been codependent and connected to him. Yeah, that like I, and I'm not like this with people at all normally. Like my personality, at least now, but oh my god, I just remember thinking like I have to know everything he was doing and. Yep. Yeah. Like we have to be together all yeah. the time. Yeah. I couldn't live, breathe, eat, think. Yeah. If it's, we were it's away just for a, a weekend or yeah. Yeah. It's just a fog. Yeah. So her recovery around that was really cool. And I know she's done a lot of work and I know she's worked with a lot of other women who've struggled with codependency. It's amazing. Um so switching gears to um switching gears to the the to Leo. And, I mean, I think we all were – anybody who heard Leo's story was 
if you have a heartbeat was affected by you know his the story of him being raped um and coming to and that whole thing and i think um you know there's so much i'm pretty sure i said this in the in the episode um and i've said it to him one-on-one as well it is so important for men to talk about this stuff because our culture has made it so that men do not feel safe talking about these things. It feels unmanly or insert whatever words you want to use. And for a guy like Leo, who was a Marine, Mm -hmm. to come out and say, not only was I assaulted, but I was assaulted by a gay man, Mm -hmm. um, I think is very powerful because it talks about the ability to recover mm-hmm. from something. I mean, first of all, he, you know, I would, you know, the fact that he is able to be, a, you know, a, an ally to the LGBTQ community after yeah. something like that. The fact that, you know, he was able to talk about it. And I just think um, the whole thing was so powerful as a message to say, like, we can talk about this. And it happens even when you are, you know, the toughest of the tough, when you're in the, you know, coming out of the Marine Corps. Yeah. Um, shit happens. Yeah. And I wanted to throw out some statistics on this topic. Um, sexual violence affects millions of Americans. Every 92 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. 92 seconds. Every 92 seconds. On average, there are 321,500 victims, age 12 or older, of rape and sexual assault each year in the United States. Men and boys are also affected by sexual violence. Um, As of 1998, 2.7 million men in the U.S. had been victims of attempted or completed rape. 3% of American men, or 1 in 33, have experienced an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. One out of every 10 rape victims are male. Wow. That was one that really, that was, that was really heavy uh, because I think that we, at least when you and I think of that, I don't think we think of the men, the amount of men that experience sexual trauma. And I, I know that when... Many men come into recovery and they get sober. One of the biggest secrets that they have is that that they were they had some sort of sexual trauma, and there is stigma around talking about that. I think a lot of them believe that they're going to take that secret to the grave. I think um, there's shame because it's often male on male, mm-hmm. and so there's confusion around: Does this make me gay? Does this, you know? Uh, what happens if some form of it was pleasurable? What happens if, you know, I didn't stop it? What You know, all these different things right. come into play. And I think there's so much shame around that. People don't know what to do. And so I just really appreciated that Leo was willing to come out and talk about that publicly um, and say this happened to me. And it was, you know, this is what happened. Yeah. And I am a man in long-term recovery, and these are the, you know, and I am 
a work in progress and this is what I'm doing and and it doesn't make me anything other than a survivor of this situation. It doesn't make me more, less, you know, sideways, forward, backward. It just makes me a survivor of the situation. And I think that it's, I mean, it's just so important that he's speaking, just like you said, out of such bravery for the male community because, you know, we've talked about this and and women talk about this all the time how unfair it is that we you know go out and I've got a question when I'm taking my dog for a walk at night if I feel safe around other people and you know what are the things that I should have with me in case something happens but you know I'm not thinking about it and my husband's not thinking about that for him when he's taking the dog for a walk to the exact same places and and so having these you know conversations where you know males need to know that they have the backup, that it's okay for them to talk about this and that sexual assault, even though the statistics say literally it happens to, you know, however many more women, 80, 80, 90% more women than it does men, they still matter too whenever this has happened to them. And And it's still a lot of other, there are a lot of other people this is happening to. Which is horrific. I mean, it's it's so amazing that there's a voice to the women's movement. Unbelievable. I am so happy and so excited about it. And we need to not forget the men that have yeah, gone along. Yeah, I agree. Too, I agree because too. I feel like we've gotten to this place in society where, you know, those of us who have experienced, like, if me coming out and saying I'm a victim of sexual assault yeah. is just not that groundbreaking, unfortunately. It's just, mm. I mean, it's just not, it's, I, I know very few women um, who can, who can say that they have not experienced sexual assault? But I still see the struggle with men to come to say this, this that out loud. So yeah, so I thought that was really brave and courageous, and and you know, really putting himself out there to help other people, which I thought was was cool. And um, and then he talked a lot about, or he sprinkled throughout his story. He talked a lot about his weight, struggling with his weight, mm-hmm. being uh, left out, and then joining the Marine Corps to lose the weight. And I wanted to, you know, I, I believe that I have talked about this before. Um, this is that's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart because that's a huge, been a huge struggle in my life, and from the time I was six years old, and it is so related to my alcoholism. Mm -hmm. It is so, it was, in in fact, it was the first substance that I ever used compulsively. And that was sugar. It was sugar and, yeah, for me it was sugar. Um, You know, I think it was sugar and things that metabolize into sugar or some sort of, you know, foods or what have you. But um, that fluctuation as part of my life has been, you know, an enormous part of my story. And I like to leave it out because it's not, it's not a pretty part of my story. That, that sounds funny as if the rest of it is pretty, but um, <laughs> it's, it's not an edgy part of my story, mm. right? Um, it's, <laughs> it like to talk about that and, and it's people are looked, people who struggle with weight are looked upon as lazy or, you know, uh, lacking willpower, these are not disciplined yeah, or, or whatever it is. And so it's like something, it, you know, it's the struggle with that is that everybody can see what, you know, you, it is a visible yeah. 
demonstration of where you are in your life, right? It's like, whereas at least with alcohol and drugs for periods of time, I could, it wasn't that I was doing them in front of people or I could try to put myself together for short stints of time. Whereas like you're a walking advertisement, your body's a walking advertisement for how you treat it Mm. uh, with food. That's a good point. And, um, and that's a very, and when it's, when it's that deep seated, that's a very sensitive thing. And I think that it, it, you know, again, just touching on the male female culture, I think male culture is much more openly disparaging about each other's bodies. Like I think men joke and, you know, like, whereas you would never do that with one of your friends, female friends and joke about how much weight they've gained, but guys will do that. Mm. And, um, and so that was a lot of what happened. And, you know, I, I think, People get sober and this issue comes back. Hmm. And I know so many people who struggle with it. So, 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 so many. And the issue of compulsive eating, whatever that looks like. Some people have compulsive eating, um, compulsive exercise, um, compulsive, you know, you know, bulimia, anorexia, restricting, binging, whatever, all these different relationships you know we we call them complicated relationships with food and i know and i what i heard throughout leo's story was the attempt often to change the way he felt through using food and eventually that didn't work and so alcohol and drugs became the easier solution and that was my experience too mm-hmm. was that at a certain point, I was like, oh, I can drink and use and not get fat and still have this, you know, and still achieve a change of how I feel. Yeah. Great. You know, that'll work much better than this. And so that's what I heard. And, and um, especially with the stories of what they put him through losing that weight was really intense. I mean, and he, I mean, I think I remember him saying that he went from like an extra large to like a small. Yeah. And so he went through such an intense, just like you said, weight change. And then something that jumped out to me about that was he went in and he was he as soon as he enlisted, he said, I'm going to show you guys. Yeah, this this was the reason why he signed up. He even did prep work with his recruiter uh, in starting to run and getting his body kind of prepped and ready for what he was going to go through in boot camp. So he goes in, he loses this tremendous amount of weight, you know, through everything that he did blew it I mean just blew his own mind with what he was able to accomplish comes back home and no one cares well no one reacted at all and he was waiting for like he was like guys look what I did right and he was not only did no one care they're like oh you think you're better than exactly so it kind of it flipped the other way and he's like I was waiting for some sort of like the acceptance that I've been waiting for my whole life right wanting to belong and feeling accepted and feeling loved for who I am, what I've accomplished, where I'm at, and he gets rejected again. Because he's walking around with a void, and he's trying to fill it with all these different things. He's trying to fill it with the food. He's trying to fill it with the acceptance and, um, you know, affirmations of the community. He's trying to fill it with alcohol, you know, whatever it is. Those are the things that he's trying to fill this void with. And whenever we have this void... Um, I like to think of my void as uh, 
a black hole because you can put as much as you want in it and it, there's somehow still space for more crap. Um, and you can do whatever you want, but that is not, it's, it's not going to fill it up. Mm. It's just not going to, it doesn't work. So that's where the, you know, the, the healthy change in behaviors and all the stuff that we learn how to do in recovery makes it so that you can fill the daily amount up. Like my void is not filled. It's still there. But when I do the things for my recovery that I need to do on a daily basis, I can fill it up for that day. I can fill up the component that's there for that day. And that's kind of why they talk about one day at a time. Hmm. Um, You know, when you're working on your recovery, talking about one day at a time, because you can't fill the whole void that you have of your, you know, the whole how you feel about yourself or that that piece of you that's that feels empty. But through various actions and, and doing the recovery work, you can fill up enough of it to satiate you for that day. Wow. That's really great. That's that's whether you're in recovery or not. Yeah. That is oh, yeah. such I'm... a good piece of advice because well and it does it totally applies when you're not in recovery it's like if you get a massage right let's say you you get a massage which like can be spiritual experience right you're you're relaxing your body it's meditative you know depending on who you are maybe you're working through stuff allowing someone to touch you like whatever whatever it is like that might be an incredibly therapeutic thing and that is going to last you a day or two Right. So like you can't get a massage and expect that to last you a year or the rest of your life. And it's, you know, same with meditation, same with exercise, same with eating something healthy. Like, oh, well, I had a green juice, so I'm good for the week. You know, no, it's a daily practice. It's all a daily practice. And so that's kind of where, you know, when I start to feel the void and I see myself doing things or actions or the insecurities are coming up and I'm trying to fill it with other things, the likelihood is that I am relying on behavior actions that I've taken earlier in the week to float me through that day. And it's not working. Yeah, that's really good. That's really, really good. So, okay, if someone, I always say this as we're kind of wrapping up, if someone's listening to this and they're feeling this void, they're feeling like, what in the heck do I do? What's the what's the next steps? What do I do? Because I'm I'm relating to this. Something has happened, but we, as we've been talking, it, it maybe if they have gone through something, uh, like one of the topics we discussed today mm-hmm. or not, or something, you know, that's kind of bringing up similar feelings what would you encourage them to do as next steps? Um, If you're dealing with codependency, um, I would go and look up CODA, Codependence Anonymous, and just go check it out. I'd go to a meeting and go check it out. You can go to a meeting and just listen. You don't have to um, do any, you don't have to participate. Um, I would buy the CODA book. I would buy... um, Melody Beattie has some books on codependency. So I would seek out 
people and literature that talk about codependency that I could listen to and relate to and start to unpack slowly what I'm dealing with, right? So just, just you know, you don't worry about quitting the person. That's just, that's a long ways away. Uh, just take it one step at a time and start to figure out, okay, I relate to this. There are other people having this behavior. There are other people who've recovered from this. They found a way to feel better. And so I would look at the literature and I would highly recommend going to a meeting and you don't have to say anything. I mean, you, ha- you can introduce yourself and just listen to other people talk about their stories and what they did. Um, start. I would start there. Um, if you're dealing with food addiction, um, struggling with any of that, I would check out Overeaters Anonymous. Um, they have they have several different Overeaters Anonymous includes anyone with disordered eating, um, bulimia, anorexia, overexercising, um, and you can look up meetings on oa.org. They have um, podcasts. They have online meetings. They have phone meetings and face-to-face meetings. I would check that out. Again, I would listen to the stories. Do you relate to those stories? If so, how? Um, and I would st- start looking into literature around that. Um, you know, w- And then also um, there are some on Facebook, there are Facebook groups um, for there's like Overeaters Anonymous Facebook group meetings. Um, so just try to find groups of people who are struggling with the same thing. For the sexual assault piece, um, I think I, you know, I, it depends on your resources, right? So mm-hmm. um, I think I would highly, highly, highly recommend seeking out some sort of therapy, um, starting with, so something that I always say is maybe you need to start with someone who is not in your community and who is paid and who is required by law not to be able to ever repeat anything you ever say Mm -hmm. and tell them first. Maybe that's the first person you tell. Um, Just, you know, I mean, you could go in and, you know, never see them again but you go and tell somebody and that person is literally unable to tell anyone by law so that would be um you know the lowest form of action you could take um another would be to if you're relating to this um and struggling with any kind of addiction um you know that kind of stuff is stuff that we work on in addiction treatment so I mean if you you know obviously I think Lion Rock is amazing and the clinicians are amazing so I'm you know would put it out that um, I would call or go on live chat with the admissions team and ask them about um, their experience what they did Um, I would download um, I would look for you know male sexual assault people who have recovered, people who've talked about it. Um, I would read Healing the Shame That Binds You, which is a book um, that I think is really wonderful. And I would start to look for communities of people who experienced similar things and find out what they did to get better. I was told, if you want what they have, do what they do. Find the winners. Stick with the winners. And 
uh, that is accurate. That is that is that is how I have been able to get better, and um, you know by doing sticking with the winners and the people who are winning are doing. Sometimes they're doing things I don't really understand how they work. You know, it's funny. Um, I have a sponsor who's been giving me um, some assignments, and I I said to her, I don't understand what this has to do with my problem. And I started to, like, get cerebral about it. And then I remembered that she has what I want. She's recovered from what I, you know, she's recovered in a way that I respect. And she's telling me this is how she recovered and this is what she did. So I'm just going to shut my mouth and do it. (laughs) Because I know from experience that if I had the answers and knew how to implement and take action on them, I would have done that already. So I'm going to someone because they're the winner. They're, you know, part of the winning team, right, of, of getting better. And I'm asking them what they did. And when they tell me what they did, sometimes I want to argue with them about it because that's mm-hmm. just my nature. Like, well, what does that have to do with anything? And one of the things she had me, I'll just say this on here, she had me write a letter to God and then had God write a letter back to me. And I don't like, you know, I'm, I sort of have like a spiritual universe um, higher power as opposed to God. So I had to first, I, the first thing I was like, nope. I, you know, I'll write a letter to the universe <laughs> yeah. and the universe. And, but then I was like, I wrote the letter to the universe uh, telling the universe what I wanted. And so, I, you know, that was easy. I wrote the letter to the universe. And then I called her and I was like, I can't write this letter back. This is ridiculous. Like, the like it's, you know, whatever. And got into the argument, you know, and not, not a real argument, but arguing about it. And then I just did it. And it was like, and what came out was she was like, well, that's awfully poignant for someone who thinks this is a load of crap, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I just – it was one of those things where I don't know that that's going to solve – I don't think that's going to solve my problem or whatever. But I – but the process of shutting my mouth <laughs> when I'm seeking help from another person who has what I want and just doing it, even when it feels insane or ridiculous or stupid or what does this have to do with anything? Hey, listen, I have a real problem and you're telling me to write notes to the universe um, – when I do those things, when I show up the way I've, I've recovered, I, I recover. I don't know why. I couldn't – I can't explain on, you know, why that happens, but I know it does. I've experienced it, and I think a lot of other people would tell you the same thing. Is like, yep, this is what I did. I have no idea why that worked. Uh, seems really silly, but if you're in enough pain and they tell you to write a damn letter to the universe, just write it. Yeah. Just do it. Like, what do you – you have a better idea? Because yeah. it's your addiction's kicking your ass. Yeah. There's no better idea. So, like, those are the types of things that I got through literature, reading about, you know, what people did to recover, uh, you know, meeting in groups with people who have recovered from similar things. Um, one, th- <laughs> one thing that was uh, – that I heard someone say in a meeting once was – in a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous once was that they um, – they now are in a place of recovery where they leave a <laughs> they leave a bite for God on their plate. Like they 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 leave a piece. Oh God, I'm gonna screw it up. What did they say? Um, like 
like inst- instead of what they used to do, which is compulsively eat everything on their plate, mm-hmm. they now leave a bite for God. So like they don't finish their food because they're leaving a bite for God. And that's how they think, you know, that's that's their way of thinking about it. Oh and I just gosh. thought that like how, like how funny that was and how. Right. But that's like a, that's a spiritual thing is like I'm not going to finish this whole plate of food just because it's in front of me and that which is part of the compulsion and bringing this the, the concept of spirituality into your food, yeah. into your food decision-making and how you're leaving a bite for, for you know, your higher power or whatever and just bringing those things into all the decisions. And those are the kinds of things where it's like if you're an atheist or agnostic or whatever, or like mm-hmm. re- you're recovering from religion, which I was – um, it's a real thing. It's Lots very painful. Yeah. yeah, it's very painful to hear people talk like that. But, it, you know, I just encourage people to, like, just do if you want what the winners have, do what the winners do and start by being curious about what they're doing and listening to their stories. I love that. Thank you so much. You always give such amazing insight and you've come through so many different things and and you continue to set an example to um, you know, keep walking out your recovery on a daily basis. So thank you. I'm, I'm sure this is helping people as they're listening to it. Um, if you guys have any questions, as always, you can email us at podcast at lionrockrecovery.com. Any questions or comments or you just want to write back. Uh, resources from what we discussed today are in the show notes. And we wish you a wonderful week. Absolutely. And uh, we have some really special guests coming up. So if you uh, have feedback on those or are looking to hear a story that might resonate personally with you, um, please let us know. We would love to get as many people who have the courage to change on here as possible. Absolutely. Thanks, Ash. Thanks. The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast, would like to thank our sponsor, Lion Rock Recovery, for their support. Lion Rock Recovery provides online substance abuse counseling where you can get help from the privacy of your own home. For more information, visit www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash podcast. Subscribe and join our podcast community to hear amazing stories of courage and transformation. We are so grateful to our listeners and hope that you will engage with us. Please email us comments, questions, anything you want to share with us, how this podcast has affected you. Our email address is podcast at lionrockrecovery.com. We want to hear from you.